0: Expecting my royalties from the courier any time now. You know, this this may not seem like a Christmas message, but it really is. Let me tell you why, because you know, you can you can a lot of times what we do in our culture, none of you guys do this. All you guys are perfect, right? Amen. But what we do in our in our culture a lot is we celebrate winter, not Christmas. We do. We celebrate winter, not Christmas. We celebrate, we celebrate festivities without holiday. Holiday comes from holy day. It's not set apart. It's, it's marketplace celebrations. And a lot of times we'll even throw Jesus in there as if he's equal with Frosted a Snowman and Santa Claus. And we all know he's preeminent over all that is or ever will be. And so I think sometimes in our fun and our festivities, we, we can, we, we believers, I can't talk to anybody else because I got to talk to my folks. We can make the era of having all the symbols and missing the meaning. And I don't mean just saying, you know, we'll say keep the Christ in Christmas. I'm talking about each and every one of us and our household's reverencing christ and remember we use fancy words like advent that means coming we'll we'll talk about his coming without remembering why he came and what does that do that doesn't position us to be remembering his second coming which is really really critical amen church because, you know, when those wise men came sometime after Jesus' birth and says, hey, which town is this supposed king would be born in? They pulled out. They didn't have Google, right? They didn't have an app on their phone. They didn't even have all the scrolls in one bound edition. They pulled out the scrolls, rickety rack, just like that. Oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But nobody was keeping watch in Bethlehem. You call for snow, they'll access every camera on top of every roof building in every town to show you pictures of coming snow, but nobody was keeping an eye out for the Savior. Now we live in the opposite, opposite side of that, right? Where there's so much talk around this time of year about so many things that all the sim, symptom, symbols will be there and often none of the substance. So we need a John 3.16, Honestly. We needed to start off our Christmas season. We need to remember that the reason he came was to live the life that sin made us unable to live and to die the death that our sin deserves us to die. He lived a life we couldn't live, died a death, we wouldn't die. And if we did, it wouldn't count for much because it wouldn't even pay for our sin, not less his. And we need this reminder to kick off our Christmas season. We need these children Right. You you know, even if you're old, most of y'all are. (laughs) We need to remember it's important to be childlike without being childish. So we need these reminders. So don't let your heart tell you for one moment that this isn't a Christmas message, because what it should do by the end of the day is remind us why he came in the first place. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read John chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1, and the Bible reads like this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life eternal life. Father, as we open your word, we understand we are limited people. Father, we are a literate society. We can read, but we often see words and mismeanings. But this word is heavenly. It It is truth that is resonating from eternity past and into eternity future. It is of your very nature. So for it to be unveiled and uncovered to us is a work of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Give us understanding. Give us revelation. Illumine the text. Meet with people and do a work in us. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. You, you know, I like, I like this guy, Nicodemus. He'd make a great neighbor, right? We tend to give these guys, these Pharisees, a hard time, but not all the Pharisees were bad guys, right? A lot of these guys just wanted God's glory, To return back to Israel. Couldn't you say, Theresa Baptist Church, couldn't you say that it would be delightful if the glory of God descended on Person County? Wouldn't that be awesome? So a lot of these guys, they really thought what we need to do is get back to obeying the law because God says we obey this law. He's going to bless us. And if we don't obey this law, he's not going to bless us. And furthermore, besides not blessing us, acting in favor toward us, he's removing his presence and pronouncing a curse. So we give all these Pharisees a hard time, but we really could label a lot of them. They was just good Baptists. They showed up at all the meetings, you know. They did everything they are supposed to do. They worked hard to pay off Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon. I mean, they was working they went to Wednesday prayer meeting and, and they went to Bible study in somebody's home and never missed Sunday school. Because they said, Man, if, if we will just get back to obeying God, look, our culture will change. So we can relate to this guy. The scriptures tell us very clearly right here that he was a man of the Pharisees. That meant he was a man of the law. The, the law not being worrying about what the sheriff's department was going to do. He he knew the King of Kings, the potentate of potentate, the sheriff of sheriffs. He was concerned about what God said. And he was part of the Jewish ruling council. That meant he was a man of authority. Isn't it interesting, though, that he's sneaking around at night to talk to Jesus? Some of y'all remember the 90s, we had the television channel Nick at Night. They thought they was original. Here's the original Nick at Night. (laughs) We know by this that he is successful in his field And we also know he's respected by his community. Now, can I speak to the fellows for a moment? I can't beat on this thing, but I can also keep pushing it down. I'm going to fall. It's going to fall. You're going to laugh. And if I can get up, I'm going to finish the sermon. (laughs) Can I speak to the men for a moment? Wouldn't, if we were real honest, wouldn't we love to say that we, as men, were respected by the people around us, and successful in our field. What is it about us guys that we love to be respected? It's the way God designed us. But wouldn't, wouldn't we love that? Wouldn't we love to say, man, people really know you're a solid citizen, you're a good guy, you're respected, that when you say stuff, you mean it, and it matters? And that, you you know, that we all sort of want to be E.F. Hutton's. When You know, when E.F. Hutton speaks what? People listen, right? We want that respect, even if the only audience that we really want is our household. We long for that. Our circle of friends, that when we say and when we do, that it is regarded and respected. And we want to be successful. That's why I like this Nicodemus. I can relate to him. All I've ever wanted in my life was to be respected and successful. I relate to this guy. Now, it was funny what I chose some of my fields of success to be in or respect, like I wanted to hit a softball so hard that even if I hit it on the ground, you didn't really want to catch it. I wanted to be respected in that way. So just because we desire to be respected and successful doesn't mean we choose the right areas to be respected and successful in. Am I right, y'all? I mean, what about the guy who wants to be, you know, the best guy at jumping off of cliffs? I'm not even going to be in that line. I'm like, you already got it, brother. It's your job. You can have it. But I believe Nicodemus was among those people who wanted to be respected in the things of God, among the people of God, in the nation of God that was comprised of the chosen people of God. He wanted to be respected amongst the godly. Okay, cool. I respect that. He also wanted to be successful, and I believe he was. But here's a detail. Here's an interesting detail. This man who I believe the scriptures unveiled in just a few words that he was respected and successful is still drawn to Jesus. In spite of earned accolades and community affirmation, it was something in him that said, I need something more. Anybody ever been there? And I think... That he's drawn some conclusions about Jesus that are really important for us to ascribe to him. He, he, just look at verse two alone. Verse two alone. There's tons of evidence. He, he decides about Jesus that Jesus is from God. He decides that God is with Jesus. He decides that there is authenticity in the miracles that Jesus has performed. In other words, that was real and it came from God. And he decides that there is authority in Jesus teaching. So unlike some of the Pharisees, Nicodemus isn't a hater, is he? Amen. It's 402 square miles in this county. There's 150 churches. I've been to most of them, and I've met tons of Nicodemuses. I have. We tend to hear about those demon-possessed few who are running around acting crazy, and then Jesus touches them, and they're clothed. And acting right, there's more Nicodemuses than there are Peter's. There's more Nicodemuses than there are the demon-possessed man. You hear me? There's more Nicodemuses than there are Mary Magdalene's. Maybe this morning you're a bit like Nicodemus. Maybe this morning you've lived a very respected life, and you are respected, and you are successful in your life, in the field, in the area that you've been placed and gifted. And maybe you're just like Nicodemus and you're drawn to Jesus. Do you know that's good stuff? My my opening is going to be longer than my sermon, but if you'll listen to the opening, the sermon will make impact. If you don't, it won't. Anybody here ever built a house? I'm talking about not had a house built. I'm talking about you built the house. Anybody ever done that? Whether for a living, okay, could you imagine, could you imagine just for a moment that you have taken a considerable amount of time to lay out a blueprint? Could you imagine that you selected every feature, every piece of building material, that you even gave thought to the, the design and the manufacture type of the nails and screws you used, that you wanted everything to be rock solid and functional? Could you imagine building a house like that and then hearing that Bob Vila was coming nearby and that he wanted to see some of the homes in the area? Could you imagine your excitement? You call him up or you email him and say, I'd love you to come by. And he goes, I'll come by. And you go, cool. And you get everything ready. And, you, you know, your wife makes them little triangle pimento cheese sandwiches. And you got sweet tea and coffee ready. And everything is, boom, you're laid out. And you're expecting Bob Vila to come in and and say, you know, you did a great job with this house. Maybe if you'll knock two foot off of this wall, open this space up, it'll be great. And Bob Vila comes in and he looks around and he goes, tear it all down. Even if you didn't build the house, even if someone built the house for you and you heard that news from a so-called expert, it would level you. Y'all missed that pun. <laughs> Y'all know how many times I practiced that in my mind. Y'all stink. <laughs> but wouldn't it? Wouldn't it level you if you had taken, if you had made your life's work building this house, and the man who's an expert in house building comes in and says, tear it down. Do you realize that is exactly what Jesus says to Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a respected, successful man, and he had made his life's work. His life's work, being a good man. And Jesus says, you got to live your life all the way over. What? And by proxy to this revealed and preserved word, and by the nature that it rings from him who is eternity, what he says to every one of us, is you must be born again to walk with me, to experience the kingdom, to know the Savior, to have the hope of glory, to meet God face to face one day. You've got to tear it all down. You must be born again. There's nothing more revolutionary than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Except this isn't the gospel. This is telling you why we need the gospel. He says you must be born again, and every one of us, to some degree, if not a hundred degrees, we look at this and go, do what? Or we say, I'm willing, but how do I do that? That's where the gospel is really critical. Now, we wouldn't be surprised. We wouldn't be surprised if Jesus said this to someone who had lived a terrible life We wouldn't be surprised if while jesus was hanging on the cross he looked over at those thieves and said you know y'all really should just start over you really should be born again we wouldn't even be surprised if he said this to some people who had made incredible mistakes we wouldn't be surprised if he said it to the prodigal son boy you done your family wrong you done god wrong you need to start over we wouldn't be surprised if he said it even to king david king david you slipped off with your neighbor's wife. You had her had her husband killed. I mean, you've been married seven times. What are you, some kind of crazy Mormon? I mean, boy, you got to start over. We wouldn't be surprised. We wouldn't be surprised if, if it was someone who was terribly out of control, like the Pharaoh. He was so out of control that when God done stuff right in his face, he just would deny. We wouldn't... We, We wouldn't be surprised if he said to someone out of control like the demon-possessed man himself, boy, sit down and calm down and start your life over. But here we find Jesus speaking to the successful, well-regarded man. And what is his core, what is his beginning message? You must be born again. This is why I call this the gospel to the good man. Because he's not saying, if you've been bad, you must be born again. If you've made mistakes, you must be born again. If life has been hard and you're kind of looking for an opportunity to start over, you must be born again. He's speaking to every soul that has ever lived. You must be born again. Somebody in the church say amen. Amen. I think if I was Nicodemus... <laughs> I probably would have said something really intelligent in response, like, huh? You know, I tend to get that tornado through a trailer park look every time I'm a bit surprised. I mean, look at how this whole thing started off. If Nicodemus rolls up on him, it's like, hey, we know you're a good man. We know you're a good teacher. We know you're doing stuff. We know God is with you. And you feel like he's right there on the edge of getting ready to ask a whole bunch of even good questions, probing questions, seeking questions. But before he gets anything out, he's like, must be born again. Too many times we're looking for the theological, philosophical, ideological edges, and God is going to the foundational root saying, you have to be born again. And, you know, the passage reveals that Nicodemus is not a young man. I mean, he even reveals to us, he says, now, wait a minute. How can a man, verse 4, how can a man when he is old? What's old? I mean, I'm not getting into that today because I'm not trying to get cut by some senior citizen in this hallway. You define old however you want to define old, but Nicodemus has a very pointed question. He says, how can a man when he is old? I think Nicodemus is saying, fundamentally two things I'm, I, i've got a lot invested in my life and a lot of years in it how could i start over is it possible do i have you talking to me and also you saying i gotta go back into the womb huh my mama ain't even around it's kind of his i'm old my mama's not even around here even if i could do that i don't really want to do it He has no expectation of change. He cannot fathom change. And so Jesus says, man, you don't even really understand the weather. Greg Fischel don't even really understand the weather. I don't know if y'all know that. He don't. He just looks at computers and points at a green screen and goes, yep, that wind's coming like that right there. And later on, it's going to do like that right there. And then later on, it's going to do like that right there. (laughs) He just went to college and he talks a little bit. Better than that right there. <laughs> you know, if you got one of these smartphones, look at your weather app. It changes every 15 minutes. Don't nobody know what they're talking about. So, so, so Jesus says, Nicodemus, boy, you don't even know where the wind's coming from. How are you going to get what the Holy Spirit's doing? He can't fathom it. And so God, what he's really saying is you need a new cleansing and you need to be a new creation. This is pretty wild stuff. And I I don't have the time this morning to even say all that this passage is pregnant with. We're going to give birth to one idea, but there's probably quadruplets right here. Suffice it to say, it has blown Nicodemus' mind. I pray to God the Holy Spirit has blown some of y'all's mind this morning. Because in our setting, in our culture, in our denomination, it is actually fairly easy to walk an aisle, make a confession, stand in the water, live a profession, and nothing ever change. But what Jesus says, Christianity's baseline requirement is you must be born again. There's the problem. The problem is every soul must be born again. Every soul So, what's the solution? I believe that's where the gospel comes into play. Just as I promised you, my introduction is longer than my sermon. So, let me share three quick things with you. What time is them kids supposed to start singing? Okay, I got it. Number one, what God calls us to in the Christian life is far more radical than any of us have ever imagined. It's far more radical. I think Nicodemus is a type where he's done this and he's done that and he knows something else is missing and he's looking for the last piece of the puzzle. But what Jesus, what the Lord Jesus, what God in the flesh says to him, I'm not looking to add to your life. I am looking to give you life. As Ravi, Ravi Zacharias says in so many speeches, you know, Jesus didn't come to make the, the, the bad man good. He came to make the dead man live. So he says you must be born again. And it's far more radical. And immediately you hear this and you go, well, who in the world can do that precisely? So let me go secondly. If the first thing I tell you is what Jesus is calling us to as the baseline. It's far more radical than we've ever imagined. Secondly, only God can do it. Amen. Church. Amen. Only God can do it. Amen. Only God can do it. I was speaking with some young people this past Tuesday. We had a pastor's panel and, uh, uh one of the, the associate pastor from Berry's Grove was there and David Chambers was there from Antioch. And we sat here and we fielded questions from about 90 young people. And, And um, one of them basically asked this question that, they asked it in a middle school kind of way, but what they were saying is, why does it feel so bad when God shows you something wrong? And what they want to do is wash away that bad feeling, right? And then God says, okay, to wash away that bad feeling, I want to change all your life. I don't really want that. It's sort of like C.S. Lewis said, I'd have a toothache and my mama wouldn't want to take me to the dentist. I didn't want to go to the dentist. I just want my tooth to stop hurting. We a lot of times want an issue to be quelled and God's trying to get to the root of our whole entire life. And we don't like that. We don't like that. And when we do face it, we say, well, here I am. I'm powerless against it. That's why when Nicodemus came with his many questions, Jesus says, you must be born again. No wonder Nicodemus is going, how in the world can I do that? Jesus pushes it right to an issue of the spirit. He says, flesh is born of flesh, spirit of spirit. This is something only God can do, Nick. You need God. You need God and you need him bad. Which brings me to my third and final point. so simple that you're going to think it's more complicated than what I say. We must look to him. There, there, there's, there's no other solution. It, it's, it's really this simple, but it's also that radical. We must look to him. We have to look to him. We must be born again. We can't do it on our own. We have to look to Jesus. But let me tell you why this becomes offensive and repulsive just what I told one of those that middle schooler that asked that question it's brave to ask that sort of question in front of all your friends isn't it don't you think it's brave stand up in front of all your peers and say I just don't want to feel bad what they were really saying is this really a sin is this thing I feel bad about is that really a sin and they want somebody who they deem an authority figure to say no it's okay that's one of the problems we're snaking up the church all over America right now. we got people who are authority figures in the circles of men who are not living on the authority of God saying things okay that ain't okay. Amen. And you got folks who can't quit feeling bad even though so-called authority figures are saying it's okay. Nicodemus had his life together and he was still drawn to Jesus. Jesus went right through the court saying, boy, you got to be born again. How can I do that? So Jesus explains it to him. He goes Old Testament on him. Yeah, you know, who likes country music in here? Don't lie, neither, because I be—I know y'all on Facebook. I see that mess. Somebody tell me they they'll say like you know you you like this song, and I go, "What in the world is that?" Well, that's country music. I don't say I don't have to say it's not country music. I just reach over and turn on Merle Haggard. <laughs> Son, this ain't that. <laughs> so it ain't country, right? Jesus says. This is nothing new. What I'm calling you to has been God's plan all the time. Do you know what he quotes? He actually quotes Numbers chapter 21. You can go there if you'd like. It's up to y'all. You know the story. Numbers 21 verses 4 through 9. The people are disobeying God. They're being bit by serpents, being bitten by serpents. They are getting sick and they are dying. This is a curse that's pronounced on them from from walking away from God. And God devises a solution for healing. He tells Moses to take a staff and to put a bronze serpent on it and to lift it up, hold it up. He says, tell the people to look at that. Particularly verse number 9, Numbers 21, verse number 9 says, So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, don't you think about this. Let's imagine you got run over by a car. <sighs> would you run around with a car pendant on your necklace? <laughs> Let's imagine someone chopped you to the top of your head with an axe. Sorry if that happened to you. You run around with an axe tied around your neck. Look, I got something in my <laughs> My brothers made me watch, what was it, I think it was called Amityville Horror, the woman with the house was bleeding. And they made me watch this movie called Poltergeist when I was real little. I mean, to this day, you, you show me a commercial of a horror movie and I almost start wetting my pants. I hate horror movies. I'm still scared of them. Say, Tim, you're grown. I know. Think about this. Think about it. Snake bites you, you're going to die. Look at the snake. How offensive is that? The point isn't even the snake. The point is to trust God. To look at the very thing that bit you was to trust the God who can save you. So when Jesus tells, John, tells Nicodemus in John chapter number 3, when he tells him, he gives the example. He points right to Numbers chapter 21 in verse number 9. In John 3.14, Moses lifted up a servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's telling him. he says, look here. What is biting you is you're seeing me perform miracles. You're hearing the authority of my teaching. You see me as righteous. You're drawn to me, and I'm telling you, you're going to have to look at me crucified so that the righteousness you can't live, that my example that is biting you, that you will look at me and live. He tells them in verse 15 that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In Numbers 21 in verse 9, they just wanted to get over the snake bite. Jesus is saying, I came to make you get over death. And I don't mean death in this body. I mean death in this eternity. You got to look to the cross. And it sounds so simple, someone, even right now, is tempted not to believe me. The snake offended the bitten, but the bitten were bade to look at the snake. The righteousness of Jesus offends the sinner, but the the God of the universe says, look at that Savior and live. And this is why he came. This is why he came. This is why he clothed himself in flesh. This is why they hung him on a tree, to pay the debt of sin, to conquer the enemy of death, to be lifted up so that men and women and boys and girls can be born again. He says, you must be born again. How do I do that? Look at Jesus. some of the best news in the world is right there in John chapter 3, verse 6. I take that back. Not some of the best news. Amen. Somebody should have corrected me. Not some. What is it? The. The best news. God so loved the world. Love is not mushy, ushy emotions right here. It's rock solid action. God loved the world. How did he... How did he act in love? That he sent his only begotten son that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life? Hey, good, respected, successful Baptist friends, you must be born again. And I tell you, if you look back across your experience and all you've done is walk an aisle and join the church, you might want to accept the offer that God has before you. But get this, he is tearing down the house. He's even going to lay a new foundation. No other foundation can man build on except the foundation is Jesus Christ. If you build on anything else, it's sinking sand. And a lot of us have built our foundation on our family histories and traditions. A lot of us have built our foundations on our culture, the American dream. A lot of us have built our foundations on our prowess. I'm good. I got me. The problem is we may have a house on sinking sand for 90, 100, 110 years, but at some point the storm of judgment is coming, and if it's not built on Jesus, it will not stand. Somebody says, Preacher, why is this a Christmas message? Because if you look in this manger without remembering that cross, it would be better if you never looked in that manger. If you see those wise men without seeing your need to find the Messiah, it would be better if you never saw them. You must be born again. How can you be born again? Look to Jesus. Can you say that's been your story, that you have looked to Jesus and that you're looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith? Are you looking to Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega? Are you looking to Jesus, the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Do you look at Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your Master, as your King, as your friend? Or do you hearken to some time when your name wound up on a piece of paper? The hope for mankind is that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Look to Jesus. Friend, have you looked to Jesus? He used the definite articles when he described himself. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What's it say, church? No man comes to the Father except what? Wow. Nicodemus was a good man. But being a good man ain't enough. Nicodemus was a respected person. Being a respected person is not enough. And regardless of respectable or not respectable, good, not good, you must be born again. That's the bad news. The good news is you look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith. You believe on him, you receive him, and he will seal you as a son or a daughter of God, and he will give you a new life where he'll be your loving Lord and your saving Savior. Father, thank you for a chance to preach this word this morning. I pray as we have this time of invitation that you would speak to hearts as only you can, that you would cause us to look on the cross. The righteous Savior is the perfect example to show us our unrighteousness, and his righteousness condemns us, but his sacrifice sets us free, calls us to look on Jesus. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters out here today, I pray you encourage their hearts that Christmas won't be a celebration of winter, but will be a celebration of Jesus, that you would renew and restore us, that you would refresh us, that you would make every Sunday and every day in between and the day of Christmas a tremendous celebration that you came to live, you came to die, that you ascended and that you're coming back. Set our minds on things above. And Father, for any out here who have yet to look on Jesus, I pray you give them that weakness that puts them at surrender, and you give them that strength that ushers from the power of the throne on high to have faith and to look at Jesus. In Him I pray, amen and amen. Our hymn of invitation is Go Tell It on the Mountain. Let's stand together and sing Go Tell It on the Mountain.